The following audio is from Heritage Christian Fellowship. More information about Heritage Christian Fellowship is available at heritagefellowship.net. Hello, hello. How's everybody doing? All right. Cool. Three people are doing good. That's last week was two. So that's, we're growing in the Lord. <laughs> Three this week, two last week. Now, it's good to be with you guys. Welcome to the midweek service. Hey, if you're new, if you're joining us, if, if you aren't familiar with this, this setting, this scene, um, there's coffee in the back, uh, there's some water in the back, and the bathrooms are through either of these two doors. Sound good? So drink liquid, get rid of liquid. Got it? Drink, dispose. Drink, dispose. Okay. Got it. Did you write that down? Okay. Well, hey guys, we are uh, trucking our way through the Old Testament. Again, if you're joining us, I'll just give you a quick kind of uh, uh, brief overview of what we've been doing so far. Um, We are doing what's called an Old Testament overview, uh, and that just basically means we are taking on the entirety of the Old Testament at really a rapid pace. We've, uh, We've done almost entirely done one book every single night, um, which is a huge feat to try to figure out how to, how to unpack and understand an entire book in a night. But we've, we've, been, we've been doing good. I think we've been getting through it to this point. Um, appreciate your guys' even patience and just trying to take on that much content. Um, but we're, we're uh, all the way to the book of Deuteronomy. So if you guys have your Bibles, flip them open to Deuteronomy. There's a couple reasons why we're doing this series. Uh, number one, I say this every week, but uh, you may know that your Bible actually is three-fourths Old Testament. Okay, the majority of the scriptures that we read, that we believe to be the foundations of everything that we believe as Christians is Old Testament. So extremely important. Um, and, and secondly, really, the Old Testament is the foundation that the New Testament was built upon. So a lot of the verses that you probably love and have read and have studied in the New Testament are built upon this foundation of the Old Testament. It's extremely important. And the reason that we're taking it on in the way that we are at such a rapid and fast pace is because uh, sometimes when you read the Bible, and you guys may know this, especially in some of these books like Deuteronomy, Numbers, Leviticus, like you can get in the weeds really fast, right? Where you, you're sort of reading and you're like, okay, what in the world does this have to do with anything? Um, so what we're really trying to do is try to get you guys up out of the weeds in these books and give you an overview of what the theme is of the book and really in hopes that you would go back and study it on your own more in depth with the tools that you have been given. Um, I'll say this now because I'll forget, but in your handout that you got, did everyone get handout? The third page of that handout is really just for you to take home. Um, it's, it's sort of a, a very extensive outline of the book of Deuteronomy. And I'm giving you guys that in hopes that tonight will whet your appetite for this amazing book of Deuteronomy, and you'll go home and use this outline to sort of work your way through it more in depth and keep yourself out of the weeds. Does that make sense? So you can just kind of, you know, take that that third piece of paper home. The piece of paper on top, uh, if you guys, again, if you're new uh, to Wednesday nights, is, is sort of a way for you to follow along and take some notes. There's some questions in there that don't have super specific answers. Just write down what you think the answer is to that question as we're going, if you'd like. Um, And then the third thing in there is this, and we'll get to what that is later. So let's pray. Um, And I'm going to ask you guys actually to pray uh, that God would speak to you uh, first. So let's spend about 20 seconds just on your own, bow your heads, invite the Lord to speak to you tonight, uh, and then we'll, we'll get started.
Father, whether we admit it or realize it, we are in such desperate need of your truth. God, our thinking is, is flawed on the deepest of levels. We are, are programmed in so many ways, God, to think wrongly. And we need you, Father, to wash us in the truth of the word, to remind us of what truly is through your inspired word, through these books, God. We thank you for the Bible, Lord. We just pray that you would just give us a bigger appetite tonight for um, all of the scriptures, even these books like Deuteronomy that so often get skipped over. Lord, just give us a hunger for more of how you reveal yourself through the Old Testament. And God, would you speak through me, uh, if at all possible, um, remind us of Jesus tonight. I pray in your name, amen. So, found a blog this morning uh, by The Economist, a website called The Economist, uh, and there were some really interesting things in there. This is a, an excerpt from that. It says, the predictions sounded like promises. In the future, working hours would be short and vacations long. Our grandchildren, quote, reckon John Maynard Canis in 1930, would, wo- would work around three hours a day and probably only by choice. Economic progress and technological advances had already shrunk working hours considerably by his day, and there was no reason to believe that this trend would not continue. Whizzy cars and ever more time-saving tools and appliances guaranteed more speed and less drudgery in all parts of life. Social psychologists began to fret whatever would people do with all their free time. Okay, if you didn't put the pieces together, this is someone in 1930 writing an article or, or writing something about what the future was going to look like for you and I, okay? And, and he's concerned, right? Because he says with the, the economic or with the, the industrial revolution and with the way that, that we as Americans are just coming up with all of these things to help our life make it easier and free up all this time, I mean, by the time 2016 comes, we're not even going to be working, we're going to have so much time on our hands, right? I and mean, this is what he was, he was worried about. Is that true? It isn't, is it? How interesting is that to think about? Now, he's right. Technology did continue to grow from the 1930s, right? I mean, we have so many things now that do so many things for us. We have dishwashers. We have washing machines. We have smartphones. I mean, we don't even have to, you don't even have to own a dictionary anymore. I mean, everything is there. Any word that you want to look up, you have access to all kinds of information. Your computer can process and do word processing and documents. You don't need typewriters anymore. We have built a society around saving time, haven't we? But are we not the busiest generation ever to live on the face of the earth? I mean, what is going on with that? We have all of these means by which to declutter our life and simplify our life, but we are so cluttered. I mean, we're going constantly. We're busy constantly. What is up with that? Here's what I feel like in my life sometimes, and tell me if you can relate with this. Uh, You ever play that game Whack-A-Mole? Right? The mole pops up, you whack it, another one pops up. And at first you're like, yeah, I got this, you know, I'm okay, I can do this. And then they start coming fast and you're just like, and you're trying to like scrape the mallet across the thing to, to whack them all at the same time. And, and, and it's stressful and then you, you epically fail right at the end. And that's what millennial life is, I think, for you and I largely today. I mean, we're bombarded with things that we could or should or maybe want to do. 
this program, uh, even church, right? We throw all of these programs at you guys. Hey, you could do this. You could do that. You could serve here. You could come to that. You could be part of this. Awanas, Boy Scouts. I mean, I could make a list of things. Now, are those bad things? No. They're good things. They're all very good things. But it's funny, in our life at this present day, we are just bombarded and we don't know what to say yes to and what to say no to. My life's like whack-a-mole because I'm constantly trying to keep up with all of the demands and expectations of life. Okay, so I'm worried about my health. Okay, I'm going to get out and run. Start running, feeling good. Okay, health's pretty good. Oh, no, but I've been running and now I've been neglecting my time in the Word. I haven't really been pursuing the Lord. So, okay, you know, get, get the Bible out. Start from, Maybe I'll get in a Bible study. Sign up for a Bible study and now I'm in a Bible study. Doing pretty good. I'm running. I'm in Bible study. But man, we got, I got to get on our finances. Like this is just getting out of hand. The credit cards are piling up. Okay, get the finances out. Let's do that. Let's take a financial peace university class. Let's get that figured out. Hey, the kids just need to get out of the house. Okay, let's get that figured out. Let's sign them up for this. Sign them up for that. Get them into some sports. Okay, the kids are doing good. Um, but now by that time, I'm not running anymore, <laughs> Right? Uh, that's gone, you know. I mean, I'm not eating healthy anymore. I'm not taking care of the finances because I'm running. We're running our kids around to, to activities and this and that. And oh man, we got to go to that birthday party because we don't want to let them down, and they might be disappointed in us if we don't get to that birthday party. And we got to be at that social event and that wedding and that. Every, and we're exhausted. You know what the number one answer is? Every, I'm a pastor, so I'm always like, "Hey, how's it going? How are you?" Busy. <laughs> Isn't that like the response? Like just, all of us were just like, "Oh, so busy." Why are we so busy when this guy was like, dude, by 2016, we should all be sitting around, you know, sipping lemonade on a beach. Where is that life? Here's my, here, here's my point. I just kind of ranted there, sorry. Um, you guys know it's true. Okay, we're t- are you guys tired right now? I'm tired. We had a busy day. I, today was chock full of stuff that I did. I'm tired. Here's the thing, though. I don't think that the issue is necessarily that we're too busy. Now, do we need more rest? Yes, absolutely. I don't, think, I don't think that's the primary issue, though. I think the primary issue with our generation and our world today is that we have no vision. Okay, we have no vision. Uh, the, the problem is that we have no system by which to decide what to bombard our lives with. In a sense, our lives have become a vacuum where anything and everything just says, hey, let me in. I want to be part of your life. And we say, okay, here's a good thing. Here's another good thing. You know, I mean, all of these good things that we let into our life, but we don't have a system by which to say whether that's actually what we should be doing or not. Now, tell me if this feels like you as well. A lot of times I'm stressed about what I'm doing, not because I'm tired, but more because I don't know if I should be doing it or not. You know, is it really worth that many hours of my week to do that? Should I really be getting up and doing that? Should I really be staying up and getting this done? Should we really have signed up for that? Should I really have told that friend I could have done that? That's, that's the thing that stresses me out is I don't feel like I know whether or not I should be doing all the things that I'm doing. I'm lacking vision and clarity on what I'm supposed to be doing in my life. Let me ask you a question. Are you living your life or is your life living you? Okay, are you living your life or is your life living you? Is life just feel like this giant, rapid river that is just carrying you wherever it wants to, and you're just like at the mercy of it, flailing constantly, flailing constantly? I feel like that a lot of times. Vision is key to that. Vision is key to that. 
Now, let me tell you a little bit about life with vision versus life with no vision. Life with no vision is lived for primarily comfort. Okay, so every decision that you make, primarily, for some of us, is going to be, well, what's the easier path? Okay, so uh, your car breaks down, and that's a bummer, and that's hard. And so your immediate response is, well, I'm just going to go out and buy a new car. Is that a bad thing? No. But you're making your decision based off of whatever is convenient. It's reactionary living. Okay, this happens, so I do this. That happens, so I do this. Okay, that's, that's, that's living life with no vision. Living life with vision is steadfast through pain for the bigger picture. Okay? All of your decisions go through this filter that say, my vision determines whether or not this thing is actually going to be part of my life. Uh, life with no vision, as I said already, is a vacuum, right? It welcomes everything, anything and everything. Life lived with vision is lived with great intentionality. Life with no vision becomes this tangle of information where we don't really know where or how to file things in our life. But life lived with vision has a place to file everything, okay? Now, what is vision? Okay, I swear this, this will have everything to do with Deuteronomy, just trust me. Um, what is vision? Okay, we have to ask that question. What is vision? Well, vision is two things, okay? And you might write this down. The first thing is vision is seeing things as they truly are, okay? Vision is firstly, it's seeing things as they truly are, okay? Uh, Helen Keller said, if you guys are familiar with her, she couldn't see or hear, um, and she said this, the only thing worse than being blind is having sight, but no vision. Okay, coming from her, this is a pretty powerful statement. In other words, just because you can see, just because you have eyes, just because you have vision, doesn't mean you have vision. <laughs> doesn't mean that you can actually see clearly. Vision is not just seeing. Vision is seeing rightly. It's not just processing information. You know, all seeing really is, is is your eyes taking information and transferring that information into your brain or your heart, okay? Uh, Your eyes, all all they're doing is just sending code, right? And your brain is interpreting it and filing it, okay? And so, so to have vision, to have true vision, really depends on the way that you file what you see. It's not so much how you see, it's how you file what you see. My my eyes are just merely sending data. Now, Jesus taught us that the way that we see or the way that we talk or the way that we act, for that matter, is all a reflection of the heart. So your heart will determine the way that you see the world, okay? And largely, your worldview will determine the way that you see the world, Paul prayed for the Ephesians. He says that the eyes of your hearts may be enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which he has called. He doesn't say that your, 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 just your eyes would be open because that would be pointless. He prays that the eyes of your heart would be open. So not that you're, I mean, we all see the same thing, but yet we all see it differently. And true vision starts with seeing things accurately instead of just seeing them the way that you want to see them. Our vision, or the lack of vision, governs really every action that we make, okay? My, my actions in life, my decisions in life, my choices in life are governed by the way that I see the world, our worldview, and this is true. Uh, here, throw, uh, for instance, if I, if I have a, well, we'll get to that in a second. If I have a scratch in my glasses and I'm walking around, I know it's really hard to ignore a Peanuts comment up here. Um, let's just get to this. Here's this Peanuts comic, okay? You guys are like, Sam, shut up, there's Peanuts up here. I was at the bank yesterday and I just saw this and I like took a picture of it and Threw it up here. So here's what's happening, okay? Uh, um, what's her name again? Uh, help me out. 
Lucy and Linus and Charlie Brown. Lucy is telling her, her brothers, he's, he's her brother, right? Uh, she, he, she says, see these leaves, Linus? They're, they're flying south for the winter, okay? And Charlie Brown, of course, who's the intelligent, you know, sort of like realist, walks up and he says, well, what makes you think those leaves are flying south, Lucy? Uh, and she says, well, when you look at a map, north is up and south is down, isn't it? Well, isn't it? You know, of course, she's not going to let him disagree with her. And he just is kind of like, no. <laughs> and so she turns back to her gullible little brother and just continues to tell him the same thing. Now, what's happening in this, this, this comic right here is that Lucy is seeing things. This, she's seeing the same thing Charlie Brown is seeing. They're both seeing leaves falling from a tree. But she has a different view of what that actually is happening. Right? And, and in her internal process, she's saying, well, leaves fall south because that's the way I see things. <laughs> and Charlie Brown's like, no, they don't fall south. They fall down, you know. Uh, it, so that's sort of the illustration it, it, is, is that the way that we think determines the way that we see. Now, because of sin, our hearts are unable to have true vision. See, sin has put a lens over the way that we see everything. And it's kept us from having true vision to be able to see things truly the way that they are. That's why Paul says that you are to be transformed by the renewing of your, what? Your mind. So, like sanctification, again, what we talked about last week, when God's, God's working in you, he's trying to change the way that you think because the way that you think will determine the way that you see things. And the way that you see things will determine the way that you live your life, the way that you make decisions, Jesus said the truth will set you free, right? The truth will set you free. We are bound by our inability to see clearly. But vision's not just seeing things as they are. Remember I said vision is two things? It's seeing things as they are. But vision is also, and this is important, listen, and we'll come back to this, but vision is also seeing things as they could be. It's seeing things as they could be, or should be, for that matter. P.K. Bernard, he said this, he said, a, a man without a vision is a man without a future. A man without a future will always return to his past. It's profound. It's true. If, if you don't have vision for your future, your default will always be to just return to whatever you know. Okay, it's just the way that we are designed. Proverbs 29, 18 says, where there is no vision, the people are unrestrained, but happy is he who keeps the law. Okay, so vision is not just seeing things how they are. It's also seeing things how they could be or should be. Vision that sees what is but does not see what could be is just pessimism, right? You just, oh, I'm a realist. I just see things how they are. Yeah, but true vision is seeing things how they could be, seeing things as you could change them, how you could affect them. And God's desire for you and I is to align our vision to his vision, that's the only time that we're really going to truly be able to see. And so the question there becomes, how do we do that? Okay. Hopefully I sort of sold you on vision. Kids want vision. Okay. Um, I do. Okay. I really do. Because um, I'm sick of being exhausted all the time in my life from lack of vision. I want clarity. God, tell me who I am and why I'm here. I want vision. And not just big nebulous vision, but clear vision. Specific vision. This is where the book of Deuteronomy comes in, okay? Uh, we've been going through what's called the Pentateuch, if you guys remember. What does that mean, anybody? The, 
book of five, okay? Or the books of Moses. The Pentateuch is the book of five. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And we're ending the book of five. We're ending the Pentateuch. And what's really interesting about Deuteronomy is it's not really a lot like the other books, it's a little bit different. A lot of the other books that we've been looking at are very narrative driven. That means that there's lots of stories and they follow this sort of chronological path and, and we can kind of get into these stories. But Deuteronomy is a little bit different. Now, the backstory, just to catch you guys up or, or remind you even, uh, the backstory is simply this. Uh, Israel has been freed from Egypt in the book of Exodus. We learned about that. Uh, and they've been, they've, they, they uh, went through the Red Sea and now they have been living and wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. If you remember uh, in the book of Numbers, uh, they refused to go into the promised land. They sent some spies to go in. Those spies said, there's giants in that land. We can't do it. It's too hard. Uh, and the people followed those that were negative, that did, that did not want to believe God's promise. And because of that, God said, okay, you don't want to go into the promised land? You don't have to go into the promised land. So they wandered for 40 years, okay, for, for 40 years. What that means is Deuteronomy is 40 years in the future, okay? We're, we're 40 years since the Exodus, and, and the result of that is, is we have a whole new generation now. This isn't really the people that actually were freed from Exodus. Maybe some of them might have been small children. Some of them might have been you know, 10 years old or 5 years old. But the majority of this generation that Deuteronomy is about is really a whole nother set of Israelites. A whole nother generation. And God did that on purpose, right? Because as we learned last week, God wants to put to death completely the old man, right? God needed a new, a new generation to go in to fulfill this mission, to conquer the promised land. Now, because this is a new generation, the vision needs to be recast. Because this generation wasn't there in Sinai. They weren't there when God manifested himself on Mount Sinai and we, they saw his glory and the, and the plans for the tabernacle were, were cast and they, 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 they built the tabernacle and they, they started to do these things. They were born into that generation. So Moses, who's an old man at this point, now takes it upon himself to bring vision and bring uh, really an understanding of who these people are in the Lord to this new generation. And that's exactly what the book of Deuteronomy is. Isn't that cool? It's not narrative. It's actually a series of sermons. It's a series of sermons. Now, the name Deuteronomy actually means second law. It means that God is going to give the law again through Moses. Moses is going to remind the second generation who God is. Now, Moses does this with great intentionality. Okay, and, and, and for that reason, I'm, I'm going to tell you guys right now, we're not going to go super in-depth into this book because it's a lot of repeating what was already preached and taught, uh, or what was already lived even in Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers. This is a lot of Moses repeating the history, repeating the rules, reminding them once again through these sermons with great intentionality. So just going to give you guys a quick outline. We're not going to spend too much time on the outline, and then uh, we're going to move forward. Like I said, I gave you that paper that is like an in-depth outline. So if you want to go home and dig into Deuteronomy, that, that in-depth outline is going to be uh, really helpful for you. Oh, that's kind of loud. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. I have no vision. I, just, I need vision. Oh, man. All right, here's a quick outline. Uh, basically, the book is split into three sermons. Okay, sermon one is chapters one through four. 
And this is where Moses reminds them of where they came from. We'll, we'll dig into this more. Sermon 2 is chapters 4 through 30. And this is where Moses reminds them of God's law. Okay, the majority of this book is Moses reminding them of God's law. And then sermon three gets a little more interesting. Moses uh, gives this last sermon about covenant and some different things. And then he, he actually, uh, he bursts into song. It's like a musical. I mean, Moses is like, in Jesus' name, amen. The hills are alive. He just bursts into this song. That's not really what he sings. Um, but he does. He, he, he bursts into a song. Uh, and then he says, I'm going to go climb a mountain and look over into Israel and die. That's the book of Deuteronomy. Okay, uh, I just made it sound really uninteresting, but it's much more interesting that he, he knows, Moses knows that he can't go into the promised land uh, because uh, if you remember when he struck the rock, uh, there's something happened there where God says it's not gonna happen. So Moses goes up into the mountain where he can see into the promised land and there he dies and passes away. And that's the end of Moses. But before he does so, he passes the baton in the book of Deuteronomy. And this is a key to the book. He, he passes the baton onto the next generation, a leader who is, anybody know? Joshua. Yeah, you, you can tell that because the next book is Joshua, right? Deuteronomy, Joshua. So he passes it to Joshua. He's the next leader. And that's sort of the end of the book. Now, here's, here's what we want to do tonight, okay? Um, Put this slide up here for you guys. Here's my hope is that we could align ourselves through this, this series of sermons by Moses to this generation, align ourselves and hopefully come out finding some vision, finding some clarity. So on this slide up here, I put vision at the very top, okay? Perspective and clarity on what your life is all about. We're trying to achieve vision. The question is how do I keep perspective and clarity in my life? How do I have vision in my life? And I want to talk about three sort of steps to achieving vision, okay? I never do three-step sermons because I think it's just it's ridiculous, but, but these are good steps, I promise, okay? Three steps to achieving vision, and I, I truly believe that if we were to and are to walk through these steps, we're going to come out with some clarity. So that's kind of uh, the plan. Now, here's a couple things about these steps. Number one, uh, you have to do them in order, okay? You can't skip a step, and we'll, we'll get into it. Uh, it's very important. I put them in the order that I put them in for great reason. And the other thing about these steps is these are all found in the book of Deuteronomy. These are all things that, that, that Moses very clearly emphasized to this next generation in order to cast vision. You guys ready? Okay, step one. Theology. Oh, that's such a scary word, Right? Uh, it's not a scary word. I'm going to tell you guys, I'm going to teach you what theology means. Theology is, is taken from two words, theos and, and ology. Okay, theo meaning God, ology meaning the study of, okay, just like psychology or any kind of other ology, right? So it's simply the study of God. It's not, you know, a lot of people think, oh, theology, oh, that's really boring, thick books by old dead guys that are read by Baptist pastors in suits and ties, Okay, that's actually not theology. I mean, maybe it is, but theology is the study of God. It's understanding the person and the nature of God. That is theology. And the first step to achieving vision is understanding who God is. Before you can possibly hope to have vision, you must know who God is. You must know who God is. So with me real quick, Deuteronomy 439. It'll be up here if you guys want it. Hopefully not in front of that thing. There we go. Um, Deuteronomy 4.39 says this, Now therefore, Moses says, Now therefore today, I'm sorry, I can't read. No, 
Know therefore, K-N-O-W, know therefore today and lay it to your heart that the Lord is God in heaven and on the earth beneath and there is no other. Verse 40, therefore, you shall keep his statutes and his commandments, which I command you today, that it may go well with you and with your children after you, and that you may prolong your days in the land that the Lord your God is giving you for all time. So again, Moses is casting vision and these sermons to this next generation. And one of the first things that he says in chapter four is this statement right here. And what is he doing here? I want you to notice the structure of this. The first thing is he's doing is he's defining God. Before he even gets into obedience, or hey, here's how you live, or here's what you do, or here's what it means to obey, he doesn't start there. He starts by defining and drawing attention to the, nar- the nature and the character of God. He says, know therefore today and lay to your heart that the Lord is God in heaven above and on the earth beneath. Now what is he saying? He's saying, in other words, God is in charge of everything. God is the king of everything. He's omnipotent. He's omnipresent. He's omniscient. God is, okay? When Moses encountered the burning bush, what did, how did God describe himself? He said, I am. Okay, I am. What God is saying through Moses there is that I am the definition of truth. Because God is the Lord of all the heavens and all the earth, he is the key, if you will, to understanding or having any kind of vision or clarity. You cannot understand it apart from God. The only way to understand the creation is to understand the creator. You guys got that? The only way to understand creation is to understand the creator. If I went back three, four, five hundred years, uh, maybe even old, longer, and, and I went back to an American Indian, now, these are brilliant people. I mean, they, they knew how to live off the lands. Uh, they lived comfortably. They lived well uh, in, in a lot of ways. But if I went back and I said, hey, you know, Joe Schmo, I, I can't, can't think of an Indian name. Um, you know, here's Squanto or whatever. I don't know. You know. Here's my smartphone. I want you to take this as a gift. Okay. Now, can you imagine what they would do with this thing? Probably not very much. I mean, for, for they wouldn't know how to, they wouldn't know what it was for. They wouldn't know what the purpose was for. They would, they would have no concept, no key, no understanding. These are brilliant people, smart people. But they can't possibly know what this thing is for unless they know who made it and why they made it. That's just common sense, right? They can't possibly have any kind of understanding or clarity or vision on this thing without understanding who actually made this thing and what the purpose of it is, so what Moses is saying is, he's saying before you can know how to act, you have to know who God is. Before you can know how to live, you have to start with who God is because God is the definition of truth. He is the only way to understand things because he's the one who created it. You cannot have vision without theology. You cannot have vision without understanding who God is. Now, what that means is, is that theology is not merely the study of God, but actually theology, now track with me, theology is the study of everything in life because God is the source and the maker of everything in life. You want to know about marriage? Study God. Where do you think marriage came from? You want to study sex? Study God. Who do you think invented it? God is a trinity. He's a community. He has perfect community within himself, and he made man and woman in the image of that. You want to understand friendship? Study God. 
You want to under, anything that you want to understand, you have to go through theology to understand it. That doesn't mean you have to go through some dry textbook understanding. It means that if you don't know God, you don't know anything. You don't. Because God is the source of all knowledge. That's why Moses spends 26 chapters, guys, 26 chapters explaining again the law of God. And if you're reading through the Old Testament and you get to the 26 chapters I'm talking about, you're like, seriously? I just waited through 26, I just waited through a whole book on the law and now I gotta read 26 more chapters of the law? What's the point of that? I'll tell you, the law is God explaining his own nature. He's saying the law is how you know who I am. And he's, it's also how you know what you're not, right? God is saying, I'm gonna spend 26 chapters plus Leviticus plus Exodus reminding you of my holiness and my nature and who I am. Because if you don't know who I am, you don't know anything. That's why the law is important. That's why it's repeated. It's the nature of God. Now, that's step one. Okay? Now, but Moses doesn't stop there. He not only wants them to know who God is, but he also wants them to know who they are, okay? And the second one is identity. Identity. Now, I gotta say something. You cannot have identity without theology. You hear me? You cannot know who you are unless you know who God is. You can know who you think you are. You can know who you would like to be. But you cannot know who you truly are apart from God. Because God is the definer of who you are. God is the, definition, the definer, I'm sorry, of identity. There is no understanding who you are apart from God. So Moses brings vision, not only by theology, but also by bringing identity. He wants them to know this new generation, not only who God is, but he wants them to know who they are. Well, how does he do it? He, he does it, and there's four, there's four ways that he does it. He, he tells them four things in the book of Deuteronomy about who they are in God. The first thing he tells them, and I think this was one of the questions on there, so you can write them down. Um, the first thing he tells them is who they were. Who they were in the past. And he does this in the first few chapters of the book. In fact, uh, Moses finds it imperative that one of the first things that he tells them is who they were. Hey, let me tell you about your parents. Let me tell you about what happened. Let me tell you about their unfaithfulness time and time again. And let me tell you about God's faithfulness. He repeats through chapters one through four the stories that we read about in Exodus, the wanderings in the wilderness, God's provision for this unbelieving, hard-hearted people. He reminds them of who they were. And it's imperative that they know who they were. Now, how does remembering who you were bring vision? Aren't you supposed to keep forward, keep forward thinking and not think about who you were? Well, no, okay, for a couple reasons. In attaining vision, you have to stop and say, well, who was I? Before I can think about who I want to be, I have to think, who, who was I? First of all, because we have to be aware of our weaknesses. We have to know where we failed. And God wants to, through Moses, remind these people, hey, learn from your parents' mistakes. Don't do what they did. They refused to follow me, God would say. They worshiped a golden calf. They constantly grumbled. Don't go down that road again. But I'll say this too. Looking back at who you were also oftentimes gives you the most clarity on what you want to see change. 
So if who you were was, was, was a ragamuffin homeless kid who was abused by parents and found drugs at an early age, that may shape for you the vision of what you want to see change in the world. You may say, I want to be a foster parent. I want to be a, a, a caseworker. I want to go out and help kids because I, my past is this. A lot of times who we were and what we came out of and the pain and the suffering and the mistakes and the struggles that we had in our life shape what we want to do in our vision for life. So it's important to first know who you were. But Moses, Moses doesn't just remind them of who they were. He also reminds them of who they are. Again, he's shaping their identity. Who are you, okay? He reminds them of who they are in the present, now, Deuteronomy 7, 6, Moses says this. He says, for you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. Now, what is he saying there? For you are a people. Okay, I underlined that. For you are a people. Not you will be a people. Not you might be a people. Not, you could have been a people. No. Now, keep in mind, right? I mean, failure after failure after failure, these people have, 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 have done. But yet God still says to them in Deuteronomy 7, 6, for you are a people holy to the Lord your God. He's defining for them who they are. And it, who they are has nothing to do with what they've done. In order to establish vision in our life, you have to, you have to see who you were. But then you have to put that up against who God says you are presently. Not just who you will be, not who you might be, not who you could have been, but who you are and who he says that you are and who you are is the Lord's. You are his treasured possession, not his semi-important possession, his treasured possession. And you will always be his treasured possession. That's who you are. And that is crucial to understanding vision in life. You are God's. Now, how does, that, how does that bring vision in your life? How does knowing who you are at present bring vision into your life? Well, have you ever worked a job and, and they didn't really tell you what your title was or your position or even your duties? And then they just said, hey, go for it. I do that to volunteers all the time. I'm, I'm like, hey, man, I don't have time to teach you, so here's some instructions. Figure it out, you know. Uh, sorry. But it's terrible. I mean, I did that to somebody two Sundays ago. I was like, hey, I don't know how to work this thing. Can you just figure it out? Um, but I've, I've had that before where I, I got hired, and they didn't tell me what my job was. They didn't tell me what I was supposed to be doing, what my expectations were, what my title was, what my, anything. And it was terrible. It was anxious. I was anxious. It's just like, what, what am I doing here? Because I didn't know who I was. And then if you've ever worked a job where it's spelled out clearly, hey, here's what you are to do. Here is your position. Here is your oversight. And here are your expectations. And here's what happened if you don't meet them. You're like, praise the Lord. I, I know what I'm supposed to be doing because I know who I am. If you don't know who you are in Jesus, you can never know what you're supposed to be doing. You're going to flail and squirm and flounder through stress and anxiety, not knowing who you are and what you're supposed to be doing. You have to know who you are, not just who you think you are, but who God says you are, because he's that definition, right? But that's not all. He says who they were, he says who they are, and then Moses also says in 7.7, 7, he says who they aren't. Okay, we also need to know who we are not, right? In 7.7, 7, he says, it was not because you were more in number than any peop other people that the Lord set his love on you. 
and chose you. For you were the fewest of all people. It's not because you were more in number. God says, Israel, I didn't pick you because you were awesome. I mean, he plucked Abraham out of Ur, the sinful pagan land. Abraham was a nobody. He was a Joe Schmo. And God said, hey, I want you, and you're going to be the father of my nation, my people set apart for my purposes. And Israel was not through history ever one of the strongest ever. I mean, they had some good times, right, when David was king and when Solomon was king. But largely, they were just kind of this small nation. Even now, you look at them on the map, and they're tiny. I mean, they're just buried, surrounded by all of the Iran and all these different countries, right? God says, I didn't pick you because you're strong. Okay, I picked you because you're weak. <laughs> and I want to manifest my strength through your weakness. It's important for us to know what we are not. In order to have any vision, any clarity in our life, we need to know what we are not. And what that does for vision, when you know what you're not, when you know what you're good at and what you're not good at, it allows you to weed things out. In my life as a believer, I, I've constantly had to realize what I'm good at and what I'm not good at, okay? And the list of not good at is big, and I need to know, okay, is this something I grow in or is this just something that God did not make me to do that? Okay, I am not Mr. Administrative. I am just not. So I don't fake it and try to be that. Now, I have to be Mr. Administrative to an extent, like we all do, okay? We have to do our paperwork. We have to go to the DMV, all that stuff. But know who you are and know who you aren't, and allow that to help you clarify what your vision is, and then the last thing that, that he tells them in regards to identity is who they will be. Okay, and this is what we talked about last week, so I won't go into this much, but, but God is not just seeing you how you are. He's seeing you how you will be. And that's important for vision. We need to say not just where I am, but where I would like to be in the Lord, how I'd like to grow in the Lord, what point in maturity I'd like to be at with the Lord. So we have identity. Let's throw that back up, Jesse. We have identity. We have I'm sorry, we have theology, we have identity, and now the third step to vision is mission, okay? Theology, identity, and mission. And mission is what do I do with my life, okay? And now, again, guys, I can't say this enough. You cannot mess up the order here. If you mess up the order, you're, gonna, you're really not going to have any vision in your life, it has to start with saying, God, who are you? So as you go home, and if you pray over this with your spouse, or you pray over it in your personal life, and you say, God, I want vision, I want clarity, I want you to, to, to show me who I am and what I'm for, it has to start with, God, what is your heart? And then it moves into, God, who am I? Who have you said that I am? And not, not even close, like, unless you really spend time on those things. Don't even think about mission. When you think about what you're supposed to be doing until you've really thought through and prayed through, God, who are you? Who am I? And based on that, what do I do? Now, you'll notice on your handout, and you can see it on the TV screen as well, I made some, 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 some differentials here. The first two are seeing things as they are. Okay, theology and identity, again, is, is this how things are right now. Theology helps you to know who you are, uh, it helps you know who God is. Identity helps you know who you are. But those are all things that are just present. Mission is seeing things as they could be. Mission is the exciting part. Mission is where you can say, okay, God, what can I do with you? What can I do for you? What can we change together in this world? I want to see things grow. I want to see the kingdom move forward. That's mission. A.W. Tozer said this. This is a fantastic quote. He says, we need a baptism of clear seeing. 
We desperately need seers who can see through the mist, Christian leaders with prophetic vision. Unless they come soon, it will be too late for this generation. And what Tozer is, oh, he goes on, and if they do come, we will no doubt crucify a few of them in the name of our world, worldly orthodoxy. What he's saying is, is that we need Christian leaders that have vision, that can see not only the way that things are, but the way that things could be. Okay? Christian leaders that are not going to stop at theology. Okay, oh yeah, I got a great understanding of justification, sanctification, glorification. Fantastic. I know my pre-trib view of, of revelation. That's fantastic. My eschatology is nailed down. My missiology is nailed down. Okay, cool. What are you doing? Well, I don't know. I know that stuff though. I mean, that stuff is the building blocks to mission. That stuff should be the wood on the fire of our mission, going out and getting things done for the Lord. Because we've been justified, because we've been called, because of our identity, we should be ready to march, ready to say, God, what do you have for me? In Deuteronomy 31, towards the end of the book, it says this, then Moses summoned Joshua and said to him in the sight of all Israel, be strong and courageous for you shall go with this people into the land that the Lord has sworn to their fathers to give them and you shall put them in possession of it. It is the Lord who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Do not fear or be dismayed. One of the coolest things about the book of Deuteronomy is this commission that happens. This commission where Moses says, okay, you've been through the wilderness. This is a new generation. You've been prepared. You have the tabernacle. You have the law. You have the priests. You have all that you need. I've cast the vision. Now, it's time to go. It's time to go. It's time to do something. Okay, it's time to do something. It's time for mission to happen. And let me just say this. That was not just Moses' words to the children of Israel. Those were Jesus' words to you and I. Do you know that? See, see, Jesus was not just calling us to salvation. He was not just calling us to justification and sanctification, these things we talked about last week. He was calling us to mission. He's calling us to, he says it in Matthew 28, 19. He says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Jesus' message was that of salvation, but it was also that of mission. He wanted us to go. He wanted us to be on mission. And Christianity is mission. It is mission. Now, there, there's, there's this question that I, that I thought of uh, as I was preparing this, and that is, is there a difference between a Christian and a disciple? Is there a difference? This is kind of a question that I, that I was wrestling around, because it seems to me like there's Christians and then there's disciples, right? There's people that would check the box, you know, on their Facebook. I don't know how that works now, but, you know, or, or would, would claim Christianity, which is just another way of saying I'm, basically, I'm not Muslim or I'm not something else, there's Christians that attend church or, or do things like that. But then there's disciples. There's people that are like, no, I'm in it. I'm following Jesus. So is there a, is there a difference between Christian and disciple? No. It's that we've, we've taken Christianity from being a disciple into something else. See, Jesus didn't just call the disciples. He didn't just call his followers to just claim that they were followers. He called them to be on mission. That was sort of interlocked, interwoven into the calling of what it is to be a Christian. It was to be on mission. 
You can't separate the two. You're like, well, I'm a Christian, but I'm not really a disciple yet. I'm getting, I'm getting there. To be a Christian is to be a disciple. And let me say this. That mission often brings vision before vision brings mission. Let me say that again, okay? <laughs> mission often brings our vision before vision brings mission. That means that sometimes you need to just do something before you're gonna get the clarity on what you really wanna do. Does that make sense? You may not know exactly what you wanna commit your life to right now. Is it gonna be foster parenting? Is it gonna be just loving my kids and my wife? Is it gonna be preaching the Bible? Or is it gonna be whatever it is, okay? You may not know what that is until you just start doing things. So I say, okay, Jesus, I know I'm saved, and now I'm ready to go be a mission. I'm ready to go be a missionary. Now let me say what mission isn't. Okay, don't limit mission to mission field, pastor, or nonprofit, okay? A lot of people think, oh, to be on mission is to do one of those three things. That's not true. That is a, 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 an anorexic view, okay? It's not a robust view of God's mission. God is calling us to bring mission into everything that we do, into teaching jobs, into plumbing jobs, into being a stay-at-home mom, into being whatever it is. That is your mission. And, and a lot of times, okay, a lot of times mission is not always changing your circumstances, but mission is actually, uh, is actually an alignment of your perspective to see that what you're doing needs to be mis- have mission brought into it. You need to bring mission into your job. You need to bring mission into your home, mission into your kids, mission into your marriage. And I guarantee you that if you are not on mission, listen, if you're not on mission, you will not have clarity. You will not. Because your time and your life will be filled with anything and everything. And it all will have to do with you. Okay? You're not justified by your mission. We got that at the bottom, right? Your identity isn't, isn't shaped by your mission, we got that at the second tier. But if you do not take that next step and say, God, I'm ready to do whatever you want me to do for you, things are not gonna start to make sense. And they will start to make sense when you say, God, I know who you are, I know who I am, and now I'm ready to go. Now I'm ready to go. I'm ready to say, you know what? I'm, I'm, I'm tired of doing everything for myself. And you know what mission does? This is how mission brings clarity in your life. It, is it gives you a mechanism by which to say, here's why I do this or don't do this. Here's why I make this decision or don't make that decision. Well, do we want to add, okay, here's an example. Do we want to add this bill into our budget that's already sort of full and tight? Um, okay, well, what's our mission? Well, our mission is we have a heart for these kids or our mission is we have a heart for the church or our mission is we have a heart for this. Okay, well, is that going to take away from our mission? Well, then no, I don't want to do that. You found clarity, okay? You found clarity in how you spend your money. You found clarity in how you spend your time. You found clarity in how much you invest relationally in people, okay? You, you may not be able to do anything and everything. There's this interesting phenomenon I've noticed in restaurants. Tell me if you guys have seen this. It used to be that you go to Denny's or Sherry's or Olive Garden and you sit down and they bring you like a novel, right? Like here is your menu and it's 10 pages long. And you can get everything from a tri-tip to a hamburger to like pasta to Chinese food and, and a milkshake. I mean, you can get everything that you want off this menu, right? And, and that was the way that it used to be. And I, I, I'm noticing now that the most successful restaurants on the market right now, In-N-Out, Chipotle, all these places like that, they sell one thing. They don't sell 20 things. 
They sell one thing and they sell it really well. You go to In-N-Out, what do you order? A burger, okay? And yeah, they got their secret menu or whatever, but you know, you, you can get a burger. That's what they have. You want a burger with two patties or one or three patties? You know, I'll take a number three because there's three patties. They're not trying to be everything. They're not trying to do everything. And I think we could learn a little bit as Christians when it comes to vision about the food industry. You guys, we can't do everything. We can't. You cannot be the ultimate soccer mom, soccer dad, and be serving and involved in your church and helping at a nonprofit and watch your favorite show every night and be a theologian in the word. I mean, the list goes on of the things that we all want to do and run five miles every morning and do this. You have to decide what are you going to do? And vision is what the mechanism that helps you to do that. Mission should be what we're making decisions for. Jesus, my ultimate goal is to be on mission for you. So everything, our budget, our time, our life, our friendship should all reflect what we're doing for you. Because our theology and our identity shows us that all that matters is you. And that, that because I'm saved and because God loves me solely on his own love and grace, now I want to be on mission. That's all shaped and it's all clear. But you have to pin that down. Now, do I have that pinned down? No, I don't. But we're trying to work towards that. My wife and I even have been having conversations like, how do we, we don't want, we don't want our life to live us. We want to live our life. Okay, this, this is, our life is an investment. Time is money, right? Okay, our life is an investment and, and I want to invest it where it counts. I don't want to just let people come up and just take chunks off of me. You know, hey, let's do this. Hey, let's do that. Hey, this is fun. Hey, this is cool. Hey, be part of that. Hey, give to this. Hey, come to that. I can't do everything. Figure out what has God called you to do and then lock in on that. Okay, lock in on that. Like a hammer presses a nail that causes that to drive into the wood with great specificity and intentionality. That's the power of mission. You have to think of your life as a budget. The reality of a budget is we only have this much money and so everything that we do in life has to fit into this budget. Your life is the same way. Okay, Say, listen, saying yes to one thing means probably saying no to three things. Okay, if you're going to say yes to something, you're probably going to have to say no to something else. You can't just say yes to everything. And that needs to all be birthed out of who God is, who we are, and what our mission is. Does that make sense? This is what Moses is trying to tell them. Guys, you're going to the promised land, not just to fight battles. You're going because you're on mission. And you're on mission because God says you're on mission. Because God has called you and given you this identity. And I want you to go remembering who you are, remembering why you're going, because you're going to go and you're going to be around these Canaanites and they're going to live in a way that's opposite to you. They're going to worship pagans. And I want you to know how to live. I don't want you to marry into them. I want you to live with specificity for the mission. That was the point. Now, if you mess up the order of this, can we throw it back up sometime? Um, my brother's back there so I can give him a hard time. Um, he's doing a great job. Um, so you're, you're not really doing a good job. You're doing a terrible job. He's my brother. so I, No, you're doing a great job. Anyone have a brother? I mean, you, you got to give him a hard time. He gives me a hard time. Um, Jesse was put on this planet to humble me. That's, that's what God did. So um, I love him. Okay. Wow. Something shiny. Okay. If you mess these up, here's what this looks like. Okay. Well, let's just say... I'm going to skip theology. I'm going to skip identity. I just really want to get right to the mission. Okay? And there's a whole lot of people out there that are doing a whole lot of that. Now, man, I recycle my garbage. 
and man, I give to four different charities, and I got a, I got a kid over in Africa that I support, and um, you know, I'm part of all of these political things, and I and I and I volunteer at this, I volunteer at that, and I, and I vote, and all this stuff, right? And there's a whole lot of people out there doing those things, and we as Christians sometimes we scratch our heads and say, how is it they can do that when they're not even Christians, right? But the reality is, is they've skipped right to mission. But mission, when you don't know who God is and you don't know who you are, is just really a way to make yourself feel better about yourself. And that's really at the core. I recycle my garbage really because I just want to feel like a good person. But the Christian should be on mission not because he wants to feel like a good person, but because of who God is and because of who God said that he is. You have to get the order right. Well, what if you just say, I'm going to skip mission, I'm going to skip theology, I just want identity. Well, there's a whole lot of people out there that have decided what their identity is without theology, okay? And it never goes good. I'm bisexual. I'm trans. I'm uh, a pop star. I am special. I am amazing. I am buff. I am a bro. I am whatever. We define ourselves on our own. This is who I am. This is who I say I am. Not allowing God to define who you are. And it just doesn't work. There's no vision in that. You don't define who you are. God does. Okay? Now, if you just take theology and you don't do mission, you don't do identity, you're going to be dry and there's going to be no love in your life. You're going to know all the right answers. You're going to know all the theological terms. You're going to read all the books. But God's going to say, what did you, where was the love for people? Your heart didn't break, right? So the order is very important. And just, just a couple things on vision, guys, as we wrap this up. Just a couple last things. Is we need to also make our vision last. Our vision needs to last. And so once you figure out what that is, there's a very important piece to Deuteronomy, okay? And Jesse, go ahead and go to the last one. It's, it's Deuteronomy chapter 31, verse 14. Why don't you guys turn there with me? Deuteronomy 31, 14. And I want you to—I want you to actually to underline this one if you're into that, uh, because this is this is this is important. You know, you could you could easily take everything I'm saying and apply it to yourself, and I hope you do. But I, I really my my whole heart behind this is not just to help yourself. My whole heart behind this is bigger than that. Look at what Moses. Well, look at what the Lord says to Moses here. Deuteronomy 31, 14. This is the Lord said to Moses, Behold, the days approach when you must die. Call Joshua. Present yourself in the tent of meeting that I may commission him. And Moses and Joshua went and presented themselves in the tent of meeting. And why is that verse important? It caught me sort of off guard, the way that God says that. And I could be reading into this, but I don't think so. He says, behold the day's approach when you must die, okay? You must die. Not, you're gonna die, Moses. It's time to, it's time to pass the baton, buddy, okay? Give up your seat. No, you must die. It's important that you get out of the way and make room for a legacy that is bigger than yourself, and this is, I, I really believe this is one of the biggest keys to vision, is it can't be about you. It has to be about more than you. It has to be about more than you. When Jesus called us to make disciples, you know what he was basically saying is? Build a legacy. The point of raising up disciples is to raise mature Christians that can raise mature Christians that raise mature Christians that raise mature Christians. 
The point of church is not for you guys all to come and just to hear uh, a teaching and then you need to come back and you need to come back and you need to come back. I hope you do come back. But the point is that you would be discipled and then you would make disciples that make disciples that make disciples and you would multiply. And you know what that's called? It's called legacy. God is building through time a legacy and he's doing it through you and I. And the key to vision is it has to be bigger than me. It has to be bigger than you. God is saying, Moses, you need to die, bro. <laughs> Your time is up. And I want, you, I want you to pass that thing to Joshua. But guess what? W- was it just like, um, I need someone to take over for me. How about you? What's your name? Joshua? Yeah, come on up. Okay, you're going to be the guy. No. Where was Joshua the entire time that Moses was leading these knuckleheads through the wilderness? He was right here. He was at the hip of Moses. Man, Joshua was there. And when it was time for Moses to pass out, God's like, it's probably better that Joshua just takes over, Mo. I mean, you're getting old, dude. This guy's ready to go, okay? This guy's the guy. He's gonna lead them in, and we'll see this next week, the book of battle, Joshua, okay? He's gonna take you in, and you're gonna go on mission, and you're gonna conquer, and you're gonna see things as they could be on mission with great vision, and, but Joshua's gonna be the guy, okay? So Moses, come on up the mountain, take a peek into the promised land, and come meet me in heaven. This is the perspective that we need to have with our kids, with those that are younger than me. You say, well, I'm young. There's someone younger than you. There is. There's someone younger than you. And maybe it's not even someone younger than you. Maybe it's just someone younger than you in the Lord. We have to be raising up a legacy to carry on longer than ourselves. That was Jesus' heart. You know what Jesus said? He said, it's better for me to go. What are you talking about, Jesus? How is it better for you to go? You are the Lord. <laughs> you are theology. You are the word of God. You're living, breathing, body, embodiment of God himself. How is it better that you go? He said, it's better that I go because the Holy Spirit's gonna come and he's gonna equip you. And then you're gonna equip others and those are gonna equip others and the church spread through the apostles. That's how Jesus multiplied. That's how Jesus did legacy. That's how Jesus did kingdom work was through thinking beyond himself. And guys, vision has to be about more than ourselves. okay? We need to know who God is. We need to know who we are. We need to know what our mission is. And then we need to take everyone else and lead them through who is God and who are you and what is your mission so that they can lead another person through who is God and who are you and what is your mission so that they can lead, do you know, do you get what I'm saying? That is vision. My prayer for, for, really for myself and for you guys is that we would be a people that don't come in on Wednesday night completely exhausted for no reason. It's okay to be tired, actually. Tired is good. I love going to bed tired. But I like going to bed tired when I know that what I did was for a reason. That what I did was for a mission. Not just because somebody said this was important and that was important. I need to do this. I need to do that. But no. I'm on clear, clarity of vision and mission. I want to go to bed tired for those reasons. And I want to know that when I die, like Moses, things are going to carry on. And they will. Because God's at the helm, right? Amen? Cool. Well, we finished a little early. Let's, let's all stand and pray together. Guys, take this home. Um, pray through it, would you? I mean, it's just something I did on 
keynote, but th- th- this is the gospel, okay? This isn't anything I invented. This is the gospel. This is God wanting you to examine your life through the gospel. So pray through it. Think about it. Ask the Lord, what is my vision for my life? Talk to your wife. Talk to your kids. Talk to your parents. Whatever it is, okay? Lord, I just pray that you would help us in this area. God, we're so quick to wander and we're so quick to fill our lives with things that are good. But God, we want to fill our lives with things that are best. We don't want to settle. God, we want to see great things happen in our lifetime for the kingdom. We want to see people get saved. Lord, this is my prayer for our church as well, Lord, that we would not just be a church that does everything, but that we would be a church that does one thing and one thing well. And that would be, that one thing would be the calling that you've given us. Lord, just bring clarity, bring vision, I pray, into all of our lives and help us to see beyond ourselves, Lord. I just pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, guys, book of Joshua next week, and we'll see you guys Sunday.